Hello, welcome to another episode of My Best Eleven Podcast. Today we are joined by the man who some people believe was the architect of Mike Newell's central midfield when Luke from Town were on the rise in the mid-noughties um, and now has gone on to an amazing managerial career. Um, a little, spent a little bit of time at Oldham and then has done some fantastic things at what he just quoted as the second favourite club of most people in Scotland. Um, so today we are joined by Steve Robinson. How are you, Steve? Good, Andrew. Good, good. I think that might be up for debate, that second favourite club in Scotland, but <laughs> a few, <laughs> few dissenters to that. OK, <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll find out. And Marv, how are you, Marv? And who do you go for in Scotland out of interest, Marv? I'm good. We rubble. Good to see you. Um, Motherwell. Motherwell's my... You, he's right. Motherwell's... No, he's wrong. Motherwell's a top club for me in Scotland. Motherwell... Marv's been there. Marv's been there. He's been in seen the sessions. Everybody knows Marv. Marv's yeah, been there. I love it. Everybody. I love it. I'm a Motherwell <laughs> fan, a big Motherwell fan. And I was a big Motherwell fan, actually, believe it or not, before Robbo was there. I was. That's the truth. I was a big mother fan. <laughs> Please explain that to me, how? <laughs> mother. The word mother, because I love my mum. Everyone loves their mum, so I thought, mother well. That's, that was the team I chose. <laughs> it's true. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough, Mark. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the best 11, starting off with um, your formation um, and then going through uh, the team that you picked and we're Really interested to see how many players are in there from teams like Bournemouth and uh, Preston, uh, those type of clubs you play for, um, alongside obviously Luton as well. Um, which I wasn't aware that you retired or you stopped playing after you finished playing with Luton. I wasn't actually aware of that. Yeah, I had no choice really. I couldn't move anymore. I'd done Nichols running for him for five or six years. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, my back was killing me. No, I had three back operations and went to see the specialist and he said, Have you got a good pension? Not really? And he said, well, my advice is play with your kids and pick them up. So I did and made that decision after, you know, I, you know yourself, you can't get around the pitch as much. And my game was was probably based a lot more on running about and a lot of energy than it was pure pure skills. So comes a time where you just know the time's right to give up and I had an opportunity to go into coaching straight away as well. So the time just seemed right. And um, unfortunately, I, 33, I think it was, I retired. So 33, is that who he was? 33, yeah. Uh-huh. I regret it now. To be honest with you, I, I genuinely think I could have played on for another two or three years, but I'd, I'd had that many operations and problems in around my back and groin area, and I just thought, you know, it's it's going to lead to things in later life where I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. But actually, I'm the opposite. Probably run more now than when I played and go to the gym every day and cycle all the time. So it didn't materialise the arthritis and things that it all the specialists threatened with. So. Um, probably in hindsight, could I got another couple of years out of it? There'd be Luton fans saying, no, you should have retired two years before that. And what, but, and what was the total amount of games? Do you know that, Robbo? You, I think it was played. over 500 altogether. I think 500? It was, it was over 500, all the cup games and all. I, see, look at that. Five, and he stopped at 33. I mean, I was 34, 35, and I only got to just 400. So you could have put on another easily, another 100 easily, probably. Yeah, I think games. I was, so I was lucky enough to be averaging probably around about 30, 35 games a season, you know, when you were playing. So I was from 18, you know, I made a decision. I made the decision. I left Spurs to play for Bournemouth because I won first team football. So, you know, you go from, I think players now sit about until they're 22, 23 with the luxury of being at Man City and Liverpool and the tag of being a Liverpool and Man City player when 
they aren't actually playing for them. You know, they're a youth team player, and then they find at 22 they're trying to play. Where I just made the decision I wanted to play football, and it was it was the best decision I made. Oh, excellent! excellent. So, um, moving on to your formation then. So you got your best eleven. Um, how long did it take you? And then moving on to your formation, Steve. Well, you should have seen the team I had out first of all, because it was only when my son came in that he reminded me who actually I played with. So I, was, I, I, I forgot everybody I played with. So I was going for all Luton players, and then I got reminded of a few really, really good players I played with. So um, I've chopped and changed a bit, and um, uh, there's a few that debatable ones as well. So I've, I've got a mixture of everything. Got a mixture of everything. My my formation is not my favourite formation as a manager. I can assure you, but it um. I've always it works with this group. Yeah, with this group, you got. I mean, it's all about play, people say about your formations and all that. There, and now I've gone into the management side of it. Your best formation is what your players can play. It's about your players. It's not about you. You know, if you're at a, a big football club, yeah, you buy the formation. But unfortunately, with this one, it was uh, needs must. And we look a wee bit like a long ball team. But both players I've got up front there. I couldn't leave either of them out, so I went with both of them. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that okay. somewhere along the line. So, what is your formation then? Four four two. Basic okay. four four two, of which I never ever play. Mike Newell will have a heart attack if he hears me saying that. You know, I'm a big four three three man or or three five two. Um, I think four four two is a, a lot of straight line football, and you know, we like to play and get the ball down and play and rotating a lot. Well, so if you if you ever get a chance to listen to Newley's one, if those formations, if they, you don't <laughs> stay in those formations. They play drafts. You got, got if you have a draft set, he's not talking about a draft set. But anyway, that's another that's another issue. This is he is right. right to be far, he is right because I believe there's five yards between every system. You know, four two three one is four four two. Where striker drop on in. You know, three five two. If you freeze free him any attack and situation, your fullback's high. You've got your left back, your two centre halves, the back three straight away. So I, I do think a lot. To, too many people watch Monday Night Football now and they're all experts and they, they actually probably couldn't coach other formations. So, but I've gone with 4 4 2 to, to fit the players up. Okay, so excellent. So let's get going. Clue. Goalkeepers, give us some clues as we go. Yeah. Andrew. So don't give us too many clues to go through, and myself and Marv will see how far back our memories go. Uh huh. So. You'll get this one straight away. This is rubbish. Uh, to be fair, is he the best goalkeeper I've played with? He's a top goalkeeper, played at a top level. Um, but he's certainly the funniest goalkeeper I ever played with. You at Luton? Luton. <laughs> at Luton. He was at Luton, yeah. Marlon. Marlon. Marlon, yeah, yeah. I have to go for Marlon. I have to go for Marlon. Marlon was, and he's come on, he's come on my coaching path with me as well. So, um, but Marlon was a top goalkeeper, obviously played Premier League, top level, um, big organizer. And, you know, when we had the success at Luton, it was only me and Marlon actually left. We sold everybody else. We sold Viney, we sold Big Howie, Kevin Foley, Curtis Davies, the list goes on. So it ended up being me and Marlon and we got the blame for the dismise of us losing games all the time. So, But a great lad in the dressing room, absolutely great lad. And as I say, I brought him with me to, to Motherwell in the first season when I was here. Um, co- coincidentally, he left and we got the two cup finals. So there must have been something when he left. And then I brought, I actually brought him on Northern Ireland with me as well. He came in with the under-21s when I was coaching with the under-21 squad as well. So we go back a long way, a long, long way. But top goalkeeper, you know, good left foot when he could reach the halfway line, when his back wasn't too sore to kick the ball. But, you know, top, top man, top goalkeeper, but a great lad as well. But maybe you can answer this question, because obviously I, I remember Marlon. Um, as goalkeepers goes, I thought Marlon was quite smart. 
No, he, yes. Well, he's got his own business and all now as well, hasn't he? He runs, yeah. he runs an accountancy business and hasn't got a clue about it. So I don't know how he manages to do it. He's got, he got friends with people at school and they've sort of carried him through. So no, Marlon, listen, Marlon, he was quite bright. He was a thinker. You know, him and yeah. Paul Underwood. They, they That's were right. Thinkers in the game, um, you know, and we long conversations about football. So, you know, it didn't surprise me and, and especially when I went into coaching and management myself, Marlon was somebody I would bounce a lot of stuff off because he, you know, he did, he understood the game. Usually find goalkeepers, um, you know, they, but they do the see everything, don't they? They're behind every bit of play. They're behind all your defensive shape, your attacking shape. So usually, they're usually mad, but they're usually crazy. Yeah, but that's Marlon, what I'm saying. Marlon was, he was crazy as well, to be honest, but very True. funny, very funny. But he, he knew the game inside out. And a couple of times he actually set me down and told me off for taking too many touches on the ball and things. And, Actually, took me into Newley's office one day to show me a clip of myself and tell me I was I was turning too many times. Just give the ball to somebody that's better than me. So, um, I big opinion on the game, but as I say, top goalkeeper and a, and a top boy. Lovely. So, moving on to right backs or left backs, where are you going to go for, Steve? Right back was a hard one. It was a really hard one. So, I had Kev Foley in first of all. Kev was only young, obviously only played one season with Kev. Um, again, another great boy as well. Really talented boy, but um. I had to edge him out for Graham Alexander. You know, ex Luton boy as well. But I didn't play with, at Luton with Graham. It was um, Preston. I played with Greza. And Greza was technically probably the best player, one of the best players I played with. We, you know, at, at Preston, we, we got into the playoffs, just missed out in the Premier League uh, with uh, the playoff in, in Cardiff. And, and Greza was the main man. You know, his distribution with both feet wasn't quick, wasn't never super quick, Greza, but never got done. Really intelligent footballer. Obviously went on to, to play for Scotland as well and, and got caps under his belt. But I mean, to play with, he was a centre forward's dream with service into you, deliveries into the box and, and penalty. Probably the best penalty kick taker I've ever, ever seen. Never missed, never, ever missed. So, and again, a friend of mine, somebody that I live very close to at Preston. Yeah, great lad. Um, Mar knows him well as well. So yeah, he, he had to be, he had to be. I put him up as, I keep trying to find a Graham Alexander as a right back up here, but no, they're not. They're not available nowadays. Who signed you at Preston? Was that Moyes as well? Moisey, yeah, yeah. Moisey signed. Moisey signed me and then never played me. So <laughs> signed me for half a million. Um, but I came into a team. You know, one of those times you come into a good team. They got promoted from League One, and they were in the Championship. And they had a midfielder, Sean Gregan and Mark Rankin, and they just it worked. It worked for them. And Moisey said he was going to give them a chance first of all. And I never quite broke in. I played 30 odd games, you know, coming on and off, but was never really broke into the team. And, and to be honest, I never, I didn't play well. One of those places where it did, didn't quite work for me. But, but Greza Cobb spread- had good players. And, and Greza was, as I say, it was a brilliant season to be involved in. And my injury problems there, you know, with my ankle and my back. And I know carried a lot of injuries there, but still managed to get 30 games in. I don't know how they weren't great games, mine, 30 bad games, I think it was. But what made you go there? What did you have in another club as an option? Did Moyes persuade you? Like, did he sell you the club to get you to go there? Because obviously, is that from Bournemouth you went there? Yeah, it was from, that- from Bournemouth. I had, I had the choice of, of both Bournemouth and or, sorry, uh, Burnley and Preston. I think it was Stan Turnham was manager of Burnley at the time. So Mel Machen, who was manager of Bournemouth at the time, was very friendly with Stan. And there was, um, you know, both both teams interested. I think they might have both put offers in. But once I met Moisey, Moisey's very convincing. Um, brilliant manager, excellent manager. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I learned a lesson that 
when you're you're in football, it's always quick to blame managers. You know, ever you know, slag people off and come out in the press and say things you shouldn't say. But I didn't, you know, and I kept. Uh, Moisey treated me very, very well. He was honest with me. He gave boys a chance, and um, once he got me, uh, you know, he was. And I learned loads from him management wise. You know, really, really good manager. Didn't quite work out for me, but you know, sometimes you have to look in the mirror yourself. And I didn't perform at Preston. I was up against good players, and I never showed the best of me either. And I always tried to speak Moisey with respect, and he's been very good with me since. You know, he allowed me to come into Everett when he was there and, and look at stuff as well. So, yeah, probably maybe not the right move, but, um, it, you know, you, in hindsight, it's a great thing. You know, I went into a team that were doing very, very well and I never got... Yeah, no, and the team coming up, you never know what's going to happen. They're either going to sink or they're oh, going to fly. Well, they got the and the reality is the boys were, were excellent. You know, I didn't yeah. play to get in, so you have to look in the mirror. I'm not one of these modern-day players that it's everybody else's fault. And um, The manager's the only person that ever tells you because their agents tell them, their mums and dads tell them they're great, their girlfriends and boyfriends tell them they're great. All their teammates say, you can't believe you're not being dropped. And unfortunately, the manager's the only one. But in our day, it was you, you knew when you were, you were bad and you could take criticism, unfortunately. The flake world we live in now, you, you can't do that. Management's complete. So left back. Where have you gone for? It's just in a bit easier. It was, and I played what like Unders won't be happy with me, but Unders didn't play at left back all the time, so mm. he just has to accept that Unders. You would have been in there, son, but I put Saul Davis in there. Saul was, Saul was, it's not team that we that got promoted was a brilliant team, um, and I haven't got enough players probably in there from it, but Saul great left foot was one of the toughest boys I ever played with. Hard as nails, only small. Would fight his own shadow. Would start a fight in an empty room as well. But he, he you know, his distribution, he, he's just an all-round player, up and down, energy, delivered balls into the box. And, you know, that, that division to get out of League One, you need people that can fight and scrap as well. And, you know, I had him, I had Nico, I had me who just ran about and just ran about. That was probably it, really. Um, but Saul was, yeah, Saul gets in there. I couldn't think of any other real left backs. You know, Johnny Evans, I was in lots of squads with, and Johnny played at left back for Northern Ireland on occasions as well. But, you know, over time, Saul was was excellent. Really, really good. And Bournemouth, you know, that was a decent left back. Yeah, well, with little Beardo, Russell Beardsmore played at left back. And then I had Richard Hughes as well, who was at Southampton, you know. So, yeah, but as an out and out defender, 1v1 defender, Saul was excellent. You, nobody yeah. got past Saul. Nobody got Basel, and I think everybody remembers that tackle at, at Stoke away. That was the craziest tackle I've ever seen. Like, yeah, you'd probably end up in prison for that now in the game, you know. So, and he, he got a red card afterwards, and there was a wee bit of ruckus afterwards. I won't mention any names, but there was um, there was a wee row afterwards. Saul and another player got sent off, and there's a couple of boys that weren't in the squad that day. There was there was a bit of ruckus afterwards up in one of the up in one of the boxes, private boxes. So. Um, I think even even Saul learnt his lesson that day, so I won't, I won't commit any names that it happened with. But he was a tough boy, tough tough boy, and, and a really really good player. And unfortunately, obviously, you know Saul had a stroke in that as well, and and it wasn't the same after that. But you know, I, I think he even played at higher levels as well. So it's unfortunate. But again, another a lot of these boys I'm picking as well are great boys. You know, good good boys and. If you're in the trenches with people, so all you want. And, it, and it's funny you're saying that because when we had Howie on earlier on, he said the same thing, didn't he, Andrew? He's like, a lot of the, the, the boys he was picking was similar to yourself, like he said, just great, great lads. And that's the big thing, I think, which comes out a lot. I mean, but listen, Sol was a, a great player as well. But on top of that, I think the best thing is that when you've got a great camaraderie and you've got a great team spirit, which obviously you lot had, that speaks volumes. Speaks volumes. 
we were a team of, we're all over the place, retrogrades, you know, we just brought, every, newly brought everybody in from clubs where we hadn't done well enough or we'd lost our way. And people are, you know, renowned as bad boys and things they got there and just put a really good group of boys together that were honest and hardworking. And it's amazing how far you can with that, you know, and, and he give us our brains, you know, he let us run the football club, you know, in, and he knew what he was doing because the boys managed each other. We pushed each other and, and Saul was... So you're looking at, you mentioned the, the team just then, and obviously you managing Motherwell now. Is that kind of like the pinnacle? Is that what you look for as a manager in terms of that Luton team that went up that season um, from League One up to the Championship? Is that what you look for in terms of personalities that you'd love to get that type of team together or were they a little bit loose and you probably wouldn't want that far? No, I mean, see the players we had at Luton, they don't exist anymore. They don't exist. You know, the academy system and, the, you know, English under-23 football and it's fluffy, everything's fluffy. They don't create characters like they did for that that team. You know, I'm sure Marv will say the same. You know, nowadays, you don't get that. You don't get that. We we had it a little bit when I first came up here. We played 3-5-2. We renowned as long ball. We got the two cup finals. We're a small club. Motherwell are you know, one of the, probably the third lowest budget in, in Scotland. We get 4,000 fans. We're competing against teams with 70 at Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, Nines and Hearts and Hibs, teams like that. So we have to find a way to compete with them. So we, we got boys, and my first team that I put together was a team of men, real men, and, and we never got the credit for the football we played, but we got the two cup finals. Got beat by a Celtic side that were treble winners two years in a row, and, you know, so they, they reminded me of the, the, the camaraderie and team spirit, and for what they lacked in talent, and they had talent, you know, that, that's a bit derogatory to say that, but they weren't there, you know, they weren't tic-tac and super football all the time but they could scrap and fight and battle and you know when they were you know with anything that went against them they fought together and so winning together was brilliant now we changed a lot and and we've we've developed lots and lots of young boys through our own academy and soul boys you know david turnbull and james scott for 1.5 million and 3 million and and they're boys that have been brought up in our way of thinking we've brought other boys in a little bit like newly did you know i've brought boys in who don't do well, don't fulfill their potential at 22, 23, drop down a ladder, you know, and, and maybe attitude problems, and but they've all got attributes, pace and quality and, and decent characters. That's the biggest thing. And I, you know, I learned a lot from that, that. You know, if they're not a good character, you can't change them. All the coaching in the world isn't going to change them. And, and I've brought boys in where sometimes I went, I made a mistake, but quickly you've got to go, boom, out you go away. You can't let them rot the football club. And I learned that as well from, you know, lots of things when you lay at the time, you don't, you don't realise it. But, um, you know, that team that went up, there was so much character in it, nobody bitched. It was the only time when I seen a manager get sacked that everybody was got, you know, the boys that weren't in the team who are usually the ones that are bitching and moaning about everything. Everybody loved Newley because he managed everybody in Truman's. And I suppose I've tried to take that on board. And what I would give for probably four or five of the Luton boys to go in and, you know, shake things up a wee bit and manage the dressing room. But times have changed. Management has changed. It's an arm round. It's a cuddle. It's cajoling. Um, you know, we do we do try and play, we do try and pass the ball, boys make mistakes, and I'm one of those if you're gonna shout at somebody, give them a reason why now. So I've had to change everything I'm doing and probably how I was brought up and, and how I managed to, you know, evolve with the times. You have to, unfortunately. You have to. But I certainly miss that. I certainly miss that. I certainly missed the men. <laughs> uh it, yeah, no, I can imagine. I can imagine. So moving on to centre backs. Now, these are two good centre backs. These are two top centre backs. So my first one, right side. You can't of the pick me. I thought you said no, I'm I didn't play with you. I only trained with oh, you. I thought you said there's two back. You were finished when I come. Actually, I straight up against you, didn't I? Oh, yeah. and, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to get it out there, Angie. The story about his shoulder. 
Yeah. So he knocked me into the stand at Bournemouth, put dirtiest foul ever, done my shoulder, was out six weeks, so there's no way you're getting in the team after that. No way. You were on the way down when I was playing you. <laughs> what, in training? He did that to you in training, did he? No, I don't no. when he was playing for he was playing for Luton and absolutely oh, smashed no. me into the hoardings over the stand and done my shoulder. So that's not been forgotten. Did I, I, did I, sorry, did, um, I forgot. Did I get did I get sent off for that? No, referees. Did I get a booking for that? Did I get a booking for that? You'd have got a six game ban now. <laughs> I didn't get a booking or sending off because right, even I, even though I was on my way down, I could stay stay with you, you little wee rabbit thing, right? <laughs> that was you hard, out of the <laughs> Anyway, I've gone oh. for two proper centre halves. Saul Campbell. So Saul was oh. I was at Spurs with Saul. So Saul um Saul was in my youth team. Funny enough, Saul was a centre forward when we played in the youth team. So me and Saul were the only two players out of that youth team. We won the youth cup as well. That actually went on to be professionals, you know, over our length. There was a couple that stayed in the game for a couple of years, but it was only probably me and Saul that actually went on. And Nick Barnby, who was the year above, but in them days, used team group together over under 16. So, um, yeah, Saul, I think that speaks for itself. You know, probably the biggest, strongest man I've ever played with. He was a, a man mountain, calm on the ball, and obviously his career that he's going on to have was... He was a centre forward, did you say? Saul was a centre forward. Actually, if I remember rightly, Saul... I heard that. Up front. I'm sure I think he, he did. I think, he, I think you're right, he did. Because it was me and Saul played up front together, and because I scored fifty, I remember I broke the record. That it was a was it the Southeast Counties? Was yeah, the league called then Southeast Counties. So I scored fifty odd goals in a season, um, and then I think the next year somebody came and broke it. It was it was probably Dave Healy. He broke every other record I had during the, the thing. Somebody else. Came so you was a centre forward. You was a you was a centre forward. I, it was me. I me and Saul played centre forward. So Saul, as you can imagine, just knocked everybody about, and I just ran in behind and scored from what? two yards. I saw thing. that you played. Two games in the Premiership, it said in on the um, Wikipedia. Which, who was that against for Spurs? Against Blackburn, the year Blackburn won the league. So I played Where up, you front, play up front to the forward. Up front, me and Barnes, me and Nick Barnby. So it was the smallest centre forward pairing in history. Um, so that was the that was the team with the, the famous five. So that was uh, the Klinsman came out just after that. So it was Darren Allen, Matreshu. But it was like there were some top top players there at that time. But but I Blackburn, we played against Blackburn and. Colin Hendry kicked me up and down the pits like I've never been kicked before. It was, it was the game, Eric, because that was why I wasn't sure about putting Marlon in. Eric Thorsfed got a 10 in the newspaper. We should have got beat, <laughs> honestly, we should have got beat 20 nil. What was the score? I think, I think, I can't actually remember, it's that long ago. I think it was nil nil, but Eric Thorsfed got a 10. That's how dominant Blackburn were. And who and was the other game again? Newley was playing. Newley was playing. I was going to say Newley. that. Surely Newley would be, yeah. Yeah, so it was New- Newley. It was, it was that era with Shearer and Newley, Sutton. You know, that was their strength force. That was when Blackburn were, were absolutely flying. So that was... And who was the other game it. against? QPR. You played twice, it said. QPR, I, yeah. and I hit the crossbar against QPR. So fine lines divided, and I tore my hamstring the same game. Was out six weeks and um, never played again. <laughs> And the best thing is, I actually knocked on Aussie Ardelia's door and couldn't believe that I wasn't in the squad ahead of Jurgen Klinsmann. So you live and learn and think, really? Now I look back and think, did I really do that? Did I really believe I should be in the squad ahead of Jurgen Klinsmann? But I was young. That's my excuse. That's so, good. I like that. You haven't changed one bit. No. <laughs> no, they, 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 yeah, but you can believe in yourself. You have to believe in you. You know what I'm like? If you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect anyone else to? 
That's there's good. Belief in, there's belief in delusion, but Marv, and I think that was probably delusional that I should be in in front of Jurgen Klinsmann. Oh, so, yeah, but and he just won the World Cup then? Come yeah, back? Yeah, he'd come Oh, in. OK. It Maybe. Was, yeah, Maybe. you live and learn, huh? <laughs> you do, you do. So Sol Campbell provides that strength and that and that phys- physical presence um, in there. What was he like? Because he comes across very softly spoken. Um, Saul was. Did he get? Was he? Was he a white line fever defender? He, Saul was just horizontal. You know, nothing stressful. He was. He was a man mountain. You know, he was in control of everything. Nothing phased him at all. You could see that with the strength that he, as his career went, he got better and better at the ball and obviously confidence in footballer. Um, as I say, in them days, it was a lot of them were behind, knocking forward. And Saul played a wee bit everywhere, centre midfield, then gradually dropped back to find his right position, but nothing got sensational for both Spurs and Arsenal as well. Oh, awesome. Who's who's next to Saul Campbell then? Another another cracker, Rio Ferdinand. So, uh, Marv didn't believe me that I played with Rio. No, but, I forgot oh, him. I was forgot he alone at Bournemouth? He was alone, he was alone at yeah. Bournemouth. But, yeah, we, we had a really good connection with West Ham at the time. Mel Machen and, and Harry Redknapp were, Harry Redknapp, were yeah. friends. So, we had a lot of West Ham connections. So, we brought Rio down. Um, and we had Matty Holland, Steve Jones. So, we had we, we were able to recruit all the boys at that time. The time's first thing. And Rio came down for six months and. And Rio was exceptional. He, he was a road glided past people. Um, I've actually got footage of him with the worst celebration I've ever seen after we scored, you know, doing a stupid dance. But he, um, he, you could see straight away, you know, he's, there's probably two players in that team where you played with, they're, they're special. And Rio was special. Rio, you could tell straight away. And he was only a young boy at that time. He was only 18. Him and Michael Dubry. Michael Dubry from, from yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. Ended and up with Stoken. Yeah. Michael Dubry, Rio Fernand, Russell Beers. Which were a really good team at Bournemouth. Really flamboyant team. And you know, Rio was was outstanding. And when I was thinking of my centre-half, I thought, how can I not include Saul and Rio? You know, so. It's the oh, England centre-back there well. for 10 years. Yeah. yeah, heck of a back four that. Really good back four. I remember yeah. I said to you, because when you said to me about it, I said, we, I remember playing the game against him and Mitchell hammering 4P after the game because no one really had heard of Rio. And it was a case where <laughs> Mitchell's going, you let that stupid, well, not stupid, you let that, that, that skinny little 18 year old boy from West Ham on loan have you in his pocket. And it turns out it was Rio because he was so comfortable and he played well that day. I can remember the game. He played really, really well. So comfortable on the ball. He was. T- I think he went straight back. And West Ham, West Ham called him back, and I think he went straight into the first thing and never came back out of it again. And it was mm. funny him and Michael Dubry because I remember Michael Dubry got called back by Chelsea as well, and they didn't want to go. They were loving Bournemouth that, that much. You know, Bournemouth was at that time. You know, we were just young boys all enjoying ourselves, and Bournemouth, Bournemouth's like living abroad for six months of the year down there. So we were just having fun playing football, and and the boys loved it. So the two of them, it's funny, the two of them were actually wanted to stay at Bournemouth. But went back and obviously had very good careers, especially Rio, when was a superstar, really. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So uh, what we can do is we're going to pause it there, Steve, um, and we'll hear an ad break from our sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll hear for about the midfield and the strike force. Thank you for listening to My Best Living Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us at My Best Living Pod or mybestlivingpod at gmail.com. Thank you. Great, so we're back for part two of Steve Robinson's My Best Eleven. Uh, so far, we've got in goal Marlon Beresford, Graham Alexander, Sol Davis, Sol Campbell and Rio Ferdinand. So, let's keep going. Wherever you wish to start, sir, where are we going to go for? So I'll start right wing, doing my 4-4-2. 
and Burke was going to hate me. We, I'm a Burke of it's just going to hate me because he was my mate, he was my best mate at the club. Him and Nico and Harry, and the, the, we always travel together in the car together. But when I can blame Harry for this, my son, because I actually forgot about this one, Keith Gillespie. So I played with Keith. Oh, Keith was actually my youth team all the way through. We played from, from under 11s, 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s in Northern Ireland. Um, played all the international setup all the way through. Um, and I mean, oh, when, when Keith was on his pump, when he was playing well, he was unplayable. He was absolutely brilliant. But it was a close call with Burko because Burko was talented, a really, really talented boy. Um, you know, I always, Nico and, and Paul Underwood used to always say, we, they'd do all the donkey work. And me and Burko would just go and do what we wanted and play where we wanted and run where we wanted. But he was, he was you know, so creative, little genius. And, you know, a talented, talented boy. But I think if you look at the levels both played at, Keith has to has to get it, you know, playing at New when he was in that Newcastle side as well under um Kevin Keegan. Yeah, he, he was brilliant. He was outstanding, you know. And again, another great boy, great fun. Um, obviously had his problems and, and issues and that with gambling, but he was, you know, great boy. Knew him from he was he was very, very young and knew all his family and all as well. Still do, still speak to him and stay in touch. He has to that, it, that would be good for the the two people I've got up from that I had to consider crosses going into the box. So Keith yeah. was probably one of the best crossers of the ball that you could you could find in in when we played. You know, no, he's a great player, great player. He's part, wasn't he part of that uh, Andy Cole deal? That's why he ended up at Newcastle, wasn't he? He started right, off at United. Aye, that's right. He, he was at United, played a few games for them, and then he went as a bit of an unknown. Went as a bit of an unknown, didn't he? To Newcastle, and then you know Kevin Keegan took him under his wing, and you know Keith liked the night out and maybe party and. Like the drink as well, and he was the fittest person you could ever imagine. He could run all day. You know, Keith could Keith could drink all night and run all day, honestly. And uh, was he one of those people who come back in July time? You kind of what? How's he pre-season? He'll just start running up hills. Yeah, he, he, he Alistair myself for three weeks and been out running every day, and he was still cruising past you. You know, and the culture in them days was you could do that. And Keith was Keith was one of those boys that certainly lived life to the full. But when you put him on the pitch. It looked like, you know, he, he was the fittest boy in the world and um, nothing bothered him. And I think if he stopped doing that, his body wouldn't have known what was going on, you know. So he was, but really talented and chipped in with goals, deliveries into the box, quality, top, top class, top premiership footballer. Talking about right wing, didn't you play right wing or right midfield for Luton for a little bit? <laughs> What are you laughing at? I'm just, I, what, what are you laughing for? I was picking up for when you asked me who was my best manager. And I was going to say Big Joe Kinnear. I played one game for Luton and that was my debut as right wing. So I don't think Joe knew who I was when he signed me. That's the truth. I think Big Mick wanted me in the building and they thought Matthew Spring was going to leave. So because Mick was probably pushing me, and I don't know how true this was, but Mick was pushing me, and Big Joe might not have been 100% sure about it, so I think Mick told him that I could play on the right. So the first game of the season, it was he played me on the right-hand side. Remember the boy Robbie Win- was it Robbie Winters? Scottish boy from Aberdeen? I think he only played a half, and he played, him, he played me right wing. I think he played Robbie, I think he played Robbie left wing and Thorpey through the middle. So he signed me and Thorpey the same day. And he took me and Thorpey off at half time, and Robbie Winters took us off and never played us for about six weeks. And then he called really? me into the office. <laughs> so Joe called me into the office and he said, Right, and Mick standing behind him, big Mick laughing in the background, chuckling. And he said, Right, he said, When was the last time you got to the byline and beat somebody and put the ball into the box? I can never, I've never played right with <laughs> in my life. Probably the last time I done that was when I was 11. So he turned around and looked at Mick, and Mick was just like chuckling, laughing. He said, "So, about two years later, I seen Joe in a restaurant, 
And I walked in and he said, here he is. Here. I said, are you joking? He said, here he is, the fucking winger. <laughs> laughing at <laughs> that old So it was, Joe was brilliant. Joe was, Joe was a character, absolute character. But eventually he got me into the middle of the pitch and um, it was me and Nico and, uh, and Springy. I think, did Springy get in? Or did he play the three of us in there? Springy left, didn't he? Springy go eventually. Yeah, Springy left. Yeah, he left. The idea was I was coming in and Springy was going. It didn't quite materialise. I think Mick might have just told Joe that I was a good right winger when I was about eight. So that was the last time I played right winger. I got a question for you. I didn't realise, obviously, when you spoke about your Tottenham days, I didn't know you was a centre forward. So when you scored all those goals at Bournemouth, was you midfield or centre forward? No, I was midfield then. Uh, Actually, I signed for Bournemouth. So why did you go? Who put you in midfield? Mel Machen. So Mel Machen... Did he play as a centre-forward, though? Brought me down as a centre-forward, yeah. I played two games, and then he put me back into midfield. So it was me and... What do you mean back? You, what do you mean back? Like, you said you played centre-forward all your youth team days. I don't know. This, I'm, I'm lost. So what do you mean? You, oh, he pushed, he pushed you backwards, you mean, into midfield? Into midfield, yeah. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah I've never played right. midfield in my life. But I have to say, it was a loose version of midfield because we used to just hit big Steve Fletcher and I used to run forward every time and I scored 60, I think I scored 69 goals for Bournemouth from there. 16? 69. Yeah, 16 Yeah. Oh, I said 16 goals in one I, yeah, season. 16 in one season, yeah. I remember getting yeah. 16 in one season and I got 13, 10. So it's like double figures for, for probably four or five seasons, which Mid- is brilliant. And... and then I left Bournemouth, so I got 69 goals and I scored 11 goals the rest of my career. And I was trying to figure out the coincidence. It was Harry. Harry was born. That's what happened. I had my first, had my first child and that was it. All my goals dried up. So, um, no, they were good times, but they were good. I No, I converted winger. Converted in the midfield. Yeah, converted to midfield. So that was Mel Meach and I have to think for that. Got another great... Yeah, he would have been. He would have been. So, left wing. Let's move over to the left-hand side. Left wing, um, Nick Barnby. So I had to, I yeah. had to pull Barnes out as well. Barnes played off the left for Spurs at times. But I know when he was at Liverpool, he played off the left as well. So I had to get him in there because I've gone very big up front. So I had to have a load of technical quality to slip people through and and add goals. But Barnes was, uh, Barnes was one of my best mates. Uh, you know, at Spurs, we, we drove in together. We were everywhere together. Instead, really, really friendly outside of football as well. Um, so again, I've a lad who I kept him for a long, long time. Lost touch a little bit now. Still get a text every now and again when you know if you know he's always there if you need football. You sort of you drift apart a little bit, but top, top talent. Nick was top class. You know, one of the most intelligent footballers. Wasn't super quick, not really tall, but his level of intelligence. You know, you don't get moves like that. Did he for five million for Liverpool as well? And was a top player. Was he in? The, he was in the Liverpool trophies when he five twenty. I think year, so. Was yeah, not that ninety nine. Yeah, and he was in the he was yeah. in the famous five when he played, you know, when Aussie was there, and it was just cavalier football, and it was it was brilliant. But I played with Barnes was in my youth team, and you could just you could just tell. And he had he had two of the worst operations we've seen: big Zorro scars down his calves. His calves were too big and had to get taken out. So really big things he had to overcome, but determination and just a, no matter how much money he had or no matter how well he done, um, he just stayed so down to you know and. Always, I uh, preach the players. You know, don't forget where he's a perfect example. A boy from Hull, never forgot his. You know, obviously lived there all his life. Went back there, married a girl from Hull, Mandy, um, who you know my family were all very friendly with, and I, his boys, his two boys, who I was very friendly with. So, yeah, top class, top top Premiership footballer. You know, no, he's definitely. Didn't he? Um, wasn't he part of the England squad as well? For I know yeah. he's in France '98, and I've got vivid memories of Euro '96, but that might be wrong. 
No, he was. He was. He was Euro '96. I'm nearly sure he was. Nearly sure. He, he, yeah, I wasn't he, sure because yeah. you were talking about. I wasn't sure if he was too young, or he obviously would have got in at a really young age. Oh, he's the same. Next, next, a year older than me. So he's he's 32. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mark. I don't even know how old you are. Yeah, don't even ask. Um, I think Nick's about. I think he's about 46. So we'll work that back. He was definitely involved in England camps and squads. He definitely yeah, 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 yeah. European World Cup, but and that tells you the level of him with the, the squad that England could pick from. But a great boy, you know, hard work yep. and dedicated. Um, an example, what an example of the young oh, football. What was his? Where did he play? Because I mean, he played in so many different positions. He could play off the front as a ten. He could play on the left. I've seen him play on the right. He was. He remind me. Was he quick? No, nope. quick. Or- wasn't it? I mean, he remind me, he remind me of a, like a Teddy Sheridan sort of player. Like you said, a very smart, clever who could put feed people different balls, reverse balls into people. That sort of he, player. He always reminded me of Kenny Douglas, and Kenny Douglas was his hero. And he was, he was, he reminded me of Kenny, but he could play anywhere. He's just an intelligent footballer. You know, when they when he played at Spurs, he played off the left. Sometimes played in behind, as you say, played off the right, and it didn't matter. He always affected the game. Score goals, great finisher, but. Dedicated to, I mean, every Venetian. Um, yeah, definitely. So, talking about brilliant careers, um, yourself obviously got capped for uh, Northern Ireland, which would have been um, an absolute honour, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, what can you just talk through what happened in terms of your first call up? Um, how did yeah, it come well, about? Was it unexpected? Um, I was at was at Spurs. I was at Spurs at the time when I got called up. So it was a it was a tour of the of Asia, and we ended up. The game, a lot of games got cancelled, so we only had a game against Thailand. So my debut was against Thailand, and we went there for a three-game tour. Brian Hamilton was the manager. Um, I used to be quite good when I was younger, I think. So when you're at, I was at Spurs, so you always had a reputation in Northern Ireland. So you're always on the verge of things. So I was in the B squad, and then you're in the the under twenty. It was there wasn't an under twenty-one team at that stage. Northern Ireland didn't have one. They had a B squad, so we had a, a, an unbelievable B squad. It was Lenny and. Steve Lomas and Michael Hughes, Michael O'Neill. So it was a really, really good team. Um, and then it was a, a end of season tour. So a lot of boys pulled out of it. So I got my first cap due to that. And all the games were cancelled bar one. So we ended up, we played, made my debut in, in Bangkok against Thailand, um, about 40 degrees. Humidity was ridiculous. Um, and then all the other games got called off. So we actually had 10 days in Thailand at a five-star resort with characters such as Lenny, Steve Lomas, Kevin Horlock, Jim Magilton, Ian Dowry, and from Marvie's tags, tags, tags was Tags was tags was right in amongst it, right in amongst <laughs> it. So there was me and Jerry McMahon, and Jerry was at Spurs with me. Jerry was a boy that signed from Glenavon from Northern Ireland. Me and Jerry were at Spurs together, so we were the two young ones and stayed out of the way and stayed together. So, but it was um, that was a brilliant trip. Great, I love to be able to tell you some stories about that trip. But, Roy stayed out of the way. Did you say you stayed out of the way? Yeah, well, we, we stayed out of the way. <laughs> How <laughs> yeah, you stay but... out of the way in Bangkok? <laughs> <laughs> We're 10 days off. <laughs> 10 days off. I think yeah, exactly. give up in the end. He said, he said, okay, you can have one or two days. But in the end, I think he just gave up and went, right, go and do what you just want to do. Um, I think the boys drunk themselves dry after about three days and started running in the end. But um, no, that was my debut. So one you're never, never ever going to forget. Never going to forget. That must have been pretty bonkers, though, because Thailand would have been an absolute full stadium, I assume. Kind of about 50, 60,000 in there, wasn't it? They're, they're obsessive with their football, aren't they? So I think it was, yeah. was 90,000 at the time. So, heck of a debut. Um, and it was, I, listen, I, I had lots of the squads with Northern Ireland. I only managed to get seven caps, and that's probably my biggest regret in football. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was in so many squads, but didn't actually 
get on. You know, you're sitting on the bench a lot. So uh, I understand people when they're frustrated sitting on the bench, but I had lots of premiership players in front of me. Michael Ferry, for, um, Jim Magilton, really good players, premiership players. Did he score? Did he score? Did he score no. for the country? No, didn't score. Didn't close? Score. Close? In the post? No? I, 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 a game against Spain where only touched the ball twice, so I, scoring a goal would have been good. The midfield was Xavi, Iniesta and Senna that we played against, so Nigel Wigman <laughs> sent me on at half-time. I remember him sending me on at half-time and the midfield was me, Sammy Klingen and Steve Davis. And I remember sending Devo after we touched the ball and he'd been on the whole game. And he said, I've touched it twice a whole. So, and, and Stevie Craigan, who's a good friend of mine, managed to score an OG and we got beat 1 0. So, um, yeah, it was, but you're playing against top, top talent. The experience, the national squad, and I was always ever so. Brilliant experiences, great experience. No, it would be. It would be. I'd love to love to do that myself. So, central midfield. So, I've got a combination here of Steve Davis. Um, Steve Davis is arguably the best footballer I've played with. He's 36 now and playing for Rangers still. And he looks like he's with the energy, but he is he is world class. Not sure. I don't think he had the recognition later on in his career, but when you see when he got his he broke the Northern Ireland caps record and you see the the people actually speaking about him, you know, Pochettino, Ronald Koeman, Johnny Evans, all the top, top footballers and managers like at the top end of the game, saying Van Dyke said he would have played with. And he really was. I remember when he came into the squad, I was a younger than him. Um, but he was um he came in straight away. Oh, you, know, you couldn't get the ball off him. He did not give the ball away. Devo did. And how he pressed, I'd never seen anybody press like it. He never got the reputation for somebody that could press and win the ball back. But when you took a touch, technically his vision, you know, even now I see a passing. He is top class, unassuming, gets on with things, very, very quiet, keeps himself to himself. But he's broke the all-time Northern Ireland cap record. He's he's a living legend. He has. Yeah. More than, more than Pat Jennings. Yeah, more than, I think he's broke Pats. I think he's broke Pats now, yeah, as well. And I think he's... Really? Ah, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he broke it there recently. So he's, you know, he's an absolute legend for Northern Ireland. So quiet, goes about his job. He's a manager's dream. You know, when we were in the Euros, you know, he was the easiest person to manage. It's so easy. People think the Harry got the egos where they do, but Devo didn't have an ego. Just no ego whatsoever. Easy maintenance, wanted to train every day. First out, last in. You know, wanted to train. He didn't believe in days off. He worked under Pochettino and they didn't have days off. There was no this first day and second day recovery. Is now with the, the modern players. They always work with as a coach and as a player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Nice. And who's the other central midfielder then? I had to put Nico in. I had to put my mate in. Um, yeah, I had to put <laughs> Nico in. If you're on the phone, he never put me in. I noticed he never put me in. Harry told me that he never put me in. So I'm, I'm thinking about retracting that, to be honest with you. But no, he was. <laughs> Nico, Nico was was probably my favourite person to play with. He he kick his own granny. He would honestly. He was a booking away from a red card every single game. He was, but we. I think me and Nico had a competition to see who could get booked first. There was like records being broke for who could get the bookings first. But he didn't get the credit for how good a footballer he was. Nico, Nico was. No, he didn't. It knee problems as well, Nico. And the one thing that stopped Nico playing right at the very top level was probably his mobility. But I mean, technically, both feet, receiving skills, breaking up play, he was he was brilliant. I don't think he had the credit he deserved. And you know, I hope Luton fans remember the first time he was there. The second time, I didn't really see him, to be honest. And I know that they were playing at lower levels at that stage, but he was brilliant. Absolute dream to play with. Done all my running, done all my tackling, done all my heading, and literally just 
shouted at me for 19 because I didn't keep my shape. It's mad now that I'm the one managing and screaming at people now to keep their shape and discipline. Well, I just ran where I wanted. And as I say, him and him and Paul Underwood in that team, they were the discipline of the team. And they allowed me and Burko to go and express ourselves and they'll create chances and press when we wanted to and just be free. But he just he was that, that anchor man that sat there, scored goals, brilliant penalty taker as well. Brilliant delivery from set plays. Really, really technical. And a great boy. Uh, mad, mad, mental, but really good boy. Really, really. Just jumping on there, what you just said about, like, Nico being the one who did all the dirty work and stuff, and you just run everywhere and stuff. So when did you start thinking about going to management and then you started thinking about these things, what players were doing for you? And when, when was the first time you thought, hmm, do you know what? I'm going to start, I'm thinking like a manager now. I'm thinking like a coach or... I mean, was that before then of your playing days, or was oh, it? No. You... I'd love, to, I'd love to say that that's what I set out to do. I love the, I love the lies and say I didn't. I, I always wanted to go and live in America, as you know, Amar. I always wanted to go and live in America. Um, my, my way into America was coaching. So I, because I had been a full international with Northern Ireland, I got offered to go on that fast track coaching course, where through your B license and your A license. Um, and so when that came about, John Carver was at the club at that stage. So it was, it was Kevin Blackwell and John Carver. And John was a brilliant coach, somebody I still stay in touch with now. And stole, so it was funny, one of my players, Declan Gallagher, went with the Scotland squad. And John Carver is the assistant manager now in Scotland. And he said straight away, he went, now I know where you got all your drills from. So you know, I stole a lot of ideas off John. Um, he was the one probably got me interested in it. And then you know, Marvin was coaching at the youth team at that stage. And sort of started like sort of trying to pick Marvin's brains as well and, and get into it then. But it was for my own selfish reasons. I wanted to go to America. I wanted to move to America. Um, and then I got offered a job through the IFA and I was struggling with my injuries at the same time. And at the time, I just, I went the long way about coaching. I didn't get a job straight away. Um, Mick had offered me the Luton Reserve job at that stage. And um, I didn't take it. I'd just taken the job in Northern Ireland, you know, and it's funny how things work out. I had I not went that way. I don't think I'd have been good a coach or manager because I, I learned every single age group, you know, from 12s to 16s, the girls, the, you know, the PowerPoint presentations, the managing in an association, the dealing with chief executives. And in, in Northern Ireland at that stage, me and Michael O'Neill were just trying to association up from scratch. There was nothing in place. And it was a brilliant learning experience. Obviously, it, it culminated in getting the years in 16 and Michael moved me up the age group. You know, I'll be forever grateful for opportunities. But... It's sort of, I just kept ending up, going up the ladder and quite unintentionally and unassuming. I didn't intend to go where I was going. And, you know, even the Motherwell job, I was away in Iceland with Stephen Cregan, who was a, a Motherwell legend. And he was my under 17 assistant manager. And I got a phone call from Ian Barraclough to say, I'm over, I've seen you coach and was impressed with you coaching and that. So I probably would have said, no, only Stephen Cregan was there. And he pushed me into it. So sometimes there's fate and you end up where you're meant to be. But you didn't, certainly you didn't know Ian Barraclough at all? I'd never met him before. He came to watch one session. At um, He was friendly with Tommy Johnson. So Tommy, I brought Tommy in. I'd met Tommy in coaching courses and Tommy had come in as my assistant with the under-21s with Northern Ireland um, because he was based in England. So we needed somebody based in England as well. And he was Ian Barraclough. Tommy Johnson is, not Tommy Johnson the striker? Yeah, Darby yeah, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Darby, Celtic. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Tommy and T Tommy and Barra knew each other and he came to watch a session and from that session he, he deemed that I was okay at what I'd done so and offered me the job. So and I've been here ever since, or a brief spell at Oldham. So which one do you prefer managing wise? The the international side of things or the constant day to day 
club coaching? They're different. There, there's there's advantages to both. The, the interview I still won is it's difficult because you only have a certain amount of time. You know, I spoke to Steve Clark about this, and obviously I was involved heavily with Michael O'Neill in Northern Ireland as well. You've only a certain amount of time to implement what you're trying to do. You've got people coming in from all different clubs that have different ideas and they're told different things, and you have to get one way of playing, and everyone has to buy into that. And what we created with Northern Ireland was a club sort of thing, you know, and that's the thing that's missing in a lot of international groups is you've got all different ideas. We created a club identity. It was basic. We went quite long, quite early. We played diagonal balls. We found a system that worked and everybody bought into it. And again, I go back to that we bought into Michael's a top class manager as well. But the players were, were so humble. They wanted to learn and they wanted to be part of something. And, you know, we went from a, a country to qualify for the last six, you know. So that's the, the bit in that. Plus, you get a lot of downtime. You get a lot of time. You get a lot more family time. You get a lot of, you can go on a lot more holidays. Club football is it's tough and um, I think Michael's find that it's every day every single day 24 hours a day it takes its toll on things it takes its toll on, you know sacrifice wise you know I've sacrificed my family it's lots of other things you have to because it dominates your whole life we're international you can get away from it a little bit but club football is 24 hours a day There's, you're responsible for everything you win on a Saturday it's relief you, you lose on a Saturday and your whole week's ruined you know, so it's it's so it's tough, tough. Club management's tough, but no, it would be. Who's your other central midfielder then, next to Steve? So no, oh, you say, sorry, Nicko. you said Nico. Yeah, I didn't. Sorry, Nicko. you said Nico. Oh, sorry, sorry, my my fault. I only need two. I don't need a third one in there. Nick Barnby will drop in there as well. He'll get. He'll go sorry, sorry, I I lost track. It's um. So I was listening so in depth to that. It was awesome to listen to. So strikers, who have we gone for? You mentioned quite a few so far, um, <laughs> and you can pick yourself. No, 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 you're joking. I've never put me in that team. No way. Um, I, to be fair, they're not the right combination. I've never played the both of them together, but they're both brilliant lads. I used to room with Stevie Hard and Steve Fletcher from Bournemouth is my best man at my wedding. Um, and, you know, great lad. One of the funniest boys I've ever met. Um, he, um, the two of them together would be a handful. That's why I had to have Keith Gillespie in to put balls into the box. But, you know, so big Stevie. Obviously, Luton fans know him well. Um, I remember Lannan, I was going to say Lannan bed with Stevie, but Lannan separate beds with Stevie. Uh, you know, we used to room together all the time and used to say to him, we only need one move. You only need one move to be a millionaire. Well, Stevie went on about six weeks later, got a million pound move and then another move and then another move. And I just retired and started coaching and I'm skint and he's a millionaire. So um, he got it right and I got it badly wrong. But as a player... Harry was a dream to play with. For somebody like me who gambled all the time off the balls off the front man, he was brilliant to play with. Absolutely. You know, he's, he set so many chances up for the team. He was pivotal to everything that would take him out of the team. But he was actually technically better than people give him credit. He just, we used to say, tell him he was the big honey monster and a big head and a stick. But, you know, with the levels he's gone to play at proved that he was technically very good as well. You know, and, and Stevie's a mate of mine now. He still stay in touch and he's been very successful in the property business and all as well. And, um, you know, somebody I still speak to on a regular basis. He comes up to Motherwell and, and sees me and, and tries to get me to sign players every now and again when he pretends he's an agent. But um, in that Luton team, he was, there was me, him, Nico, and um, we, Burko, and we travelled in the car together to train him. We, you know, we travelled in and out. We all lived in Milton Keynes. But Burko didn't, but we lived in Milton Keynes, Thorpe. And we travelled in together and the banter and the crack in the car was, you know, that's what you miss. As a manager, you don't get that. Everybody hates you. You know, everybody in the club hates your bar. 
that maybe the 10 or 11 boys that you've picked to start and everybody else despises you, their girlfriends hate you, their mums hate you and the banter going in. I walk in the change room now and everyone stops speaking. It's uh, there it and so on. So where that's what you miss. And that dressing room was, I mean, some of the things the boys got up to, you could never say on a podcast in that dressing room, but the, the team spirit and banter, Harry was writing amongst it. You know, he just sat and laughed at everything. He just sat in the corner giggling to himself. So, he, you know, but as a player, Definitely, he was a huge part of what we. Did. Who would you rather? Um, who who did you rather play with? Obviously, setting things up in that that particularly picking out that Luton team you were talking about, uh, Rowan Vine or Steve Howie. Who was better for the parties you played? Because they were they were different players. For me, to play with Howie, and in reality, I probably put you should have put Viney with him because Viney was excellent that season. He was class. You know, and then, and then you've got Warren Feeney as well, who was completely different, worked his socks off, gave a great platform to the team, didn't quite score the goals that we know he could do. And then he got a, a really good move to Cardiff. But for me, Harry was pivotal. You know, if you took Harry out of the team, you'd miss him more than we took Viney's goals out of the team because Harry just gave Viney the platform to play. He gave me the platform to run, the, you know, the same set plays. You've got him and Coiny that you're hitting. Um, you know, he was... I don't think the team could have done without Harry. I don't think we got promoted without him. I thought him and Nico were were pivotal. Viney was excellent. And Viney's a hard one to leave out. And there's there's some other players that I played with at Preston. John Macken, who was top class at times oh. as well. You know, and, and you know, Dave Healy. Healy. He was a great player. Yeah, he was fantastic. And the year we got up, he was you know, Dave Healy, who's a Northern Ireland legend, absolute legend. Yeah. You know, another great friend of mine. And Played in the same youth teams, Lisburn youth together, and all from growing up. So really and truly, the the little and large combination probably should have been Viney and Stevie, um, or Stevie and and Healy, or, or even John Macken. But I just couldn't leave Big Fletch out. I had to put him in. I had to put. I'm putting that's him in. It's, that's why it's your it's your best eleven, Robbo. No I'm putting him in. That's that's more right. than his talent, because I always say to him, he never left Bournemouth because he was scared to leave Bournemouth, because he he's got a stand built after him now as well. He walks about Bournemouth like he's he's the king. He is the king of Bournemouth. And everybody I take up or they come from, we, we had a boy, Michael and Jolie, on loan. And boys that have been at Bournemouth always say to them, you know, big Jordan Archer, who's with us at the minute, big goal. How's big flitz? Everyone bursts out laughing because he's just a character. He's a, he's, a, he's a great lad, you know, and obviously I was very friendly with, with him. He was my best man. And his wife, Lynn, as well, and their kids, you know. So we had, we had some brilliant times down at Bournemouth. We were... 18. We were down to the beach every day after training. We thought we'd made it. We were earning 300 quid a week and thought we'd cracked it. You know, we're running about in our white suits and, and what have you, the curtains and all that kind of stuff, straightening our hair and embarrassing to look back on. But good times, good crack. And I mean, he was, but Fletch was, again, he's too similar to Stevie to have him in the team, but I couldn't take him out. He was the same. Without him, I scored 69 goals at Bournemouth. And I would say Fletch probably set up at least half of them. You know, we, we played it up to him. He set things. He was that big. He chested things down. He wasn't the most mobile of boys. He had knee problems as well, but so effective. So, so effective. So a mix of a team. Probably not, not the right blend if I was the manager. It certainly wouldn't be my right blend in there, but some very, very good. You, you say um, he wasn't the most mobile flesh, but he, he, used to, he used to score all the time. He used to be, if like, he was playing in that team, you'd see, like, Bournemouth won so and so nil. Fletcher, 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 he scored a good few goals, didn't he, for playing for them? Are you sure that wasn't Carl Fletcher? That might have been Carl. Carl no, played for that Carl Fletcher's oh, a midf- Carl Fletcher's a midfielder, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The midfielder, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, yeah Carl's had a recruitment now as well at Bournemouth. Uh, no, he, did, he came in, he chipped no, in. No, Fletcher, he was a handful. 
he was, he was I'll put so against him a, a, I mean, a good few times. You wouldn't have it's put him hard. The, you, just, you wouldn't have kicked him into the side of the, the Hordens, would you? Uh, no, because he's too fat. I, I couldn't get, I wouldn't get him off the <laughs> yeah. ground. He's too fat. He wouldn't have run far enough out that way. He wouldn't have been out that wide in the pitch anyway to kick him. He never left the centre of the pitch. <laughs> he, was, he was a handful. I mean, the two of them up front would be a handful. handful. That, by, by the way, how he needed a kick in the ass as well, because I remember screaming at him, like, come on, big man, you've not won a header. I've not won that. And he used to tip my head off at half time and things. But he won every header after that. So I was the little one shouting and screaming yeah. in the background, being gobby. It worked. And, uh, him and Nico, Nico was trying to grab me and pin me up and how he was going to kill me, but it worked. So he won every header. We were one nil up and, and everyone was happy. So... Um, that's fantastic. So of those of those three uh, you mentioned there in terms of the, the, the chaos that they caused in the dressing room, um, Nico came on and told us a million stories, most of which involved fireworks. Um, <laughs> so, um, so would you say you were you were more the giggler on the outside or were you well and truly involved in in, in this in this yourself as well? I don't know. I was quite miserable, Marvel. I was like moody. I would say, I'd, I'd say, I'd say Robbo's quite smart. So this is, this is Rob. Robbo's very smart, right? So Robbo would sort of like, just like throw in the little, the odd like little, like, what about, what about that, Stephen? Should we do that? And he wouldn't actually take part in doing it. So he would just like load the gun. They say, load the gun. Here you go, Nico. And, all, and then off you go. And, and they will go and fire it. And he'd be giggling and like, in a way, in the background, laughing, thinking, you're crazy, you're crazy. But it was Robbo's idea. It all comes yeah, from I never, Robbo. I never had a chance to be crazy there. When you put salt in, was in the lot. Our Harry tells me the story as well. So our, our Harry says, I used to bring Harry in the train and that. And Saul like, used to do things that like, an eight and nine-year-old boy shouldn't see. And he's got him upside down, dipping him in the bin and, and you know, just <laughs> things you shouldn't say. So I didn't have a chance. You've got Nico doing, walking around the dressing room, doing things. You know, Marlon being mental and mad and crazy. Um, but yeah, we, we had some good characters in the... Harry was the same. Harry used to just sit in the corner and laugh. He just used to giggle and we'd just let Nico get on with it. He'd just get on with it. Thorpey was a character as well. So uh, there was... <laughs> some good quite a few characters, it was. Plenty of stories about Thorpey as well, but I won't say them ones either. So, because we all come in in the cars together, me, Thorpey. Um, and Nico we used to drive in from Milton Keynes together through Woburn to miss the traffic and the banter was good good times at you. Uh, definitely definitely um, I'm surprised one name I'm going to throw in there did you play with Carlos Edwards do you know what I, I'm, I said him last night I said Carlos last night Carlos was class he was you talking about putting the wing in putting the ball in yeah, and Carlos and, could play left or right. Say, it was him, or it was. Uh, that's why Burko had no chance, did he? Really, when we when we look at it, <laughs> <laughs> you have no chance of being in this team. Carlos Edwards was class. He he was. Carlos could do anything. He had rubber legs, you know. When he he had that there, drop of his shoulder. Really, really good player. Uh, funny, he was the one that I mentioned because I was trying to say to my partner Robin about it, and like, I don't even think she thinks I played football. So I was trying to get my goal against Liverpool up, and I think Carlos played. And it was Harry said, yeah, Carlos Edwards, Edwards I think, crossed the ball. So, um, yeah, Carlos was top class, top, top mm. player. Didn't he, move, didn't he move to Sunderland? Did he go to Sunderland? Yeah, Sunderland, Sunderland Ipswich. then Ipswich. Ipswich. Yeah. yeah. And he played in the World Cup in 2006. Yeah, so... He played for Trinidad. Uh, he's st- he's still like, playing now, Nico says. He's still playing he's now. Don't realise how many yeah, good he players out. You know, and, and I've had the pleasure of coaching a lot of really, really good players as well, so... Been very lucky. You don't realise until you sit down and do something. I guess I said the more of last night. I yeah. haven't looked at it yet because I was too busy getting over a 3-0 defeat on Saturday. 
um, and trying to sign players and sack players and do that, do things as you do as a manager. So um, I only sat and thought about it really last night and all the players start coming back and the memories start coming. Yeah, some some boys that you are not in that starting eleven that you know probably maybe squeeze into it on another day. Can I ask you so two you about? Got, I mean, you, sorry, can I ask you two boys about a player who Luton fans remember fondly, but he never seems to get a mention. Enoch Shawomney. Big Enoch. What, Big Enoch. Whatever happened to Enoch? You, were you more? You were still there, Marv, weren't you? Wait, Enoch. Yeah, I was. I was. I was on the coaching table, but you played with. I mean, I think. Yeah, I, I Enoch, remember yeah. Enoch coming in from that. Sorry, I don't know where. Where did he come in from? Enoch. It coming from there was this team I think in London who had an like an academy of some sort and they came down and played in a game. Remember in the game against right, yeah. I don't know if it's reserves or the first team at right. um, Electro or where, where it was. Yeah, and Enoch stood out by a mile. And he was like he was very quick, fast, athletic, and you know what Steenie was like? Whoa, look at him. He's, he's, he's got some wheels, isn't he? Look, like, and sort of thing. And he stood out, but he was very raw. And so I think they invited, said, oh, I think they were quite pushy and said, oh, do you like any of our players sort of thing? And I think Newley and Steve said, oh, we quite like him there. Um, what's the story with him? And then it was a case where I think Enoch came down for another week on his own. And he did, I mean, I think he was there for a couple of weeks, did quite really, really well. I think he, he, um, he ended up getting a deal, but then... Um, He's got a few goals, isn't he? Did he go to yeah, Leeds? He, he, he got to Leeds, isn't he? A big, big handful. I don't think he probably went on to fulfil what he had attribute-wise. You know, he was a big boy. He was quick. He was strong. He could score goals. And he never really quite went on and done probably what he thought he could have done in the game. You know, sometimes when the boys miss out early on, they maybe don't get that their base to play. But yeah, I lost track of Enoch, to be honest. I, I didn't know where he went after Luton. I know that he, he played, but he was a handful. He scored goals as well. And I think he ended up being a sub a lot of times when we were there. But um, he, he played for um, Nigeria. Did he play for Nigeria? Yeah, I think he played for his country. Yeah. You can't knock him. And I'm saying he didn't go on and do things. But he probably got more caps than I did. So, that's, that's, which isn't difficult to be honest. So I digressed. It was just a random question. I wasn't sure if you boys, had, had, how much do you guys keep in touch? And obviously, being in management, Steve, how do you find that that balance of um, the relationships and keeping in touch with old players and, and things like that. How do you how do you find time for that and how do you find that type of thing? Marvel tell you. Look, I'll be, before he answers that, I can answer this for you, Andrew. <laughs> He's the worst ever communicator in the whole world. Honestly, he's, he's, he's ridiculous. Um, and, I'm, and that's me putting I it lightly. I go in the I go in the club at quarter to eight in the morning, half seven quarter to eight. I talk all day. I have meetings all day. I have staff meetings. I have Zoom meetings. I have meetings with the chief exec. I have players moaning at me. I go and then put a session on. I then go and do analysis. There. Every, every, as a manager, what you find is, when I was assistant manager, I thought I worked really hard and I thought I knew it. And I, I was doing so much around the club. When you become a manager, everyone wants a piece of you. And the players only want to speak to the manager. All the staff want their own little piece of the pie. They all want the recognition. Everybody wants recognised from the manager. So it's difficult and you give everybody, and I do, I try and treat everybody the way I want to be treated. And you give that much time to people. By the time you walk through the door, you go, oh, and I just can't be bothered speaking to them. And Marv sometimes WhatsApp me and phones me and I'm like, and to be honest, staying in touch with people, I'm rubbish at the best of times. And probably the only two people in football I keep in touch with 
would be Marv and I'm Marlon Beresford. And I've got one other best mate who I grew up with, Johnny Houston, who's probably the only person I keep in touch with on a regular basis. But when you see the lads, you catch up with them. Nico, I'll speak to you because Nico's an agent now. And, you know, we'll catch up and you'll hear from Thorpe every now and again, Little Burko, Harry, big, big Stevie Howard. But staying in touch is difficult. It is difficult because you, your world just gets dominated by football. It really does. And, um, it drains a life out of you at times and it, sometimes you do everybody else around you suffers for it because you're you're a moody so-and-so and tired all the time um but i've learned i've learned as the more i've managed that you you have to you know me and partner quite cycling or used to but i think she might have retired now to be honest with you she's she's claiming she's retired for the winter but you have to you have to dedicate time to get away from it you have to go i go to the gym every morning still just to try and get my head right for 45 minutes and i'm ready set to go so when he's ringing me, I'm in the gym. That's the problem. The time difference, that's my excuse why I don't take his calls all the time. <laughs> awesome. So Sorry. management, you're in managing right yeah. now. Um, who's your manager you gone for? Who do you think would, would manage this group? Manage I, know you mentioned, I know you mentioned big, the fridge earlier. Is it the yeah. fridge or? <laughs> no, it's not Joe. Joe was the most ruthless manager ever, but funny. So funny. If it wasn't you, he was going for. I mean, some of the things Joe said to the boys, I mean, I couldn't even put it on here. It was we've raised it. We've, raised, we've mentioned it on here with, with guys Boise. Remember Boise? Oh, Boise I mean, Boise. He, he actually told me he was going to take me off once if I showed for the ball off Boise. Yeah, he was like, don't, don't, you dare show the, don't you dare show for the ball off or I'm going to take you off the pitch. And again, Boise's going on to play in the Premier League. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he was, I won the FA Cup. He's won the FA yeah. Cup, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I remember him taking me and Thorpe on <laughs> I'll tell I'll tell the one about so he put me on at Cardiff. Uh, me and me and Thorpe, he dropped me in Thorpe. Can I swear on here? I'm okay to swear. Yeah, 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 yeah go on. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he he um he put me on I mean, he dropped he signed me in Thorpe. Me and Thorpe were the big signings um that season. He, he brought Thorpe in, he brought me in, and he dropped us after about two games. And uh, you know Thorpe, me and Thorpe went, ah, fuck it, we don't, you know, we're we're giving up, we're not playing, that's it. But he put me and him on. Well, a 10 minutes to go against Cardiff away and I went through one-on-one and missed an absolute sitter. I tried to chip the goalkeeper. I was one-on-one. So I came in and he, I was sitting in the corner. He comes in and he says to me, I could have put that in with my cock, Mickey. He says it to Mick Arthur. And I just looked at him and he just looked at me and he shook his head and he went, you're shit. Yeah, that was it. And absolutely slaughtered me. With Joe, there was no in-between. No in-between. His, his first team talk that ever I ever went into, he said... See if I could replace every single one of you. This was before the game. He said, I'd replace every single one of you. And we were like, <laughs> I'd never heard of him before. All the rest of the boys started laughing, thinking, oh, that's, that's Joe for you. But Joe was a character. Joe, Joe was, it was, it was good fun. If it wasn't you on the end of it, it was good fun. But in terms of, in terms of management, I've been very, very privileged. I've worked with all the international managers, you know, Brian Hamilton, Nigel Worthington, um, Michael O'Neill, in my on coaching capacity would have been the best manager I've seen work in detail. Unbelievable. As a player, you know, Mel Machen made me feel like I was the best player in the world. He had a, a man management scheme, skills, him, Danny Wilson at Bristol City. And, and I've mentioned David Moyes already. You know, tactically, Moyes, he was top class. and was going on to, to prove that. But I think man management-wise, I think Mike Newell, with that team, you know, and, and at the time... You know, he used to moan about things. And actually, you look back as a manager now, and a lot of things made sense. He let, we had players who could run the football club, and he managed it brilliantly. We, you know, we had big characters with big voices. And if you stood up to them too often, it wouldn't have worked. He allowed us to be disciplined and discipline ourselves. And 
you know, he allowed us to express ourselves. You know, Newley was one of those that he pretended he wasn't in the tactics and oh, it's always 4-4-2, four, four, but actually he was very, very bright, you know, and, and very bright football-wise. Um, would hate me saying that because he doesn't like any kind of credit, but he was a very, very good manager. Um, and as a man manager, he would be the best. He would be the best. as Tactically, you know, and, and I had Sean O'Driscoll work with me short, for a short period of time and I, I've thrown in about 100 managers. Sean was was virgin on genius when you speak to Sean. He's so controversially challenged me all the time as a manager, challenged my thought process all the time. Um, but, I mean, probably out of all of them, I would say David Moyes tactically was top, top notch. Michael O'Neill, as when I worked with anybody, I probably learned more from as the overall package. And as a man manager, Mike Newell, Mike Newell was an excellent man manager. As I say, I've never so seen a manager. Who are you choosing? Get off the fence, know, Robert. Who are you choosing <laughs> as your manager? Right? You, you just said and played for one club. I went, I was adventurous. I went out and about and seen who everybody else. Love. I had no, um, listen, I had no, I had no choice. No one wanted to sign me or buy me, right? I was, <laughs> no one wanted to I was, I was just released from Spurs. I had no choice. Um, I'm going for Newley. Who I'm are you going choosing? Yeah, going for, for Newley. Yeah. Okay, Matt Newley. And, that, and that's because I've got two more questions for you, and I think one of them is going to come from, anyway, from what you might say from this next question, like your most memorable Luton game and why. Uh, probably you want me to say the Liverpool game, don't you? <laughs> no, no, I want you to say what you know, what you feel. But, but my question is from that game, actually. But, but I, anyway, but whatever game you say, what your most memorable game and why? I was just interested. Uh, I suppose it. Yeah, the Liverpool game. I mean, I can't forget that scored. I've got a picture on my wall of Carragher on the floor and um, Stephen Gerrard with his hands on his head like that. And my best mate was in the stand, Husty. So my celebration afterwards, I was going to go out and top my head. Don't ask me why. He had asked me to do yeah. this before the game. So it was a strange, strange celebration, but he thinks it was really funny. So it keeps him happy. So we've done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's that much happened in that game. It probably would be the most memorable game for, for me, for Luton. I Definitely, definitely the most memorable Luton game because... Um, I mean, You've got Marlon getting on the halfway line. You've got penalties. Yeah. You've got Steve Gerrard bending one in. Alonso scoring, I'd say, from the halfway line. I got taken off with two minutes to go with a torn my knee ligaments. Nobody even remembers that because that's how effective I was on the pitch. I was off the pitch. So um, it was I. It was, it was eventful anyway, that one. And my wow. second part of that question, I mean, which, I mean, it doesn't matter if it wasn't going to be that game, but now as a manager and as a coach, whether... Do you think, I mean, I don't, I don't even ask Newley this question, actually. Do you do you think, what could you think could be different to win that game? Why do we lose that game? Why do you think we lost that game? After we, being, had, so, we had a mentality, and it's quite similar to Motherwell. We've got a, a mentality where we always attack. And you've got players in the team that are very attack-minded, very forward-thinking. And we were, was it three, were it three one up, weren't we? Was it three yeah. one? Was it three uh, one half up? Time, Half-time was, or yeah, just after and, half-time. And, yeah. You know, in hindsight, as a manager, what I would have done, and that's easy hindsight. Easy. Um, yeah, it is easy. Would have we we kept attacking. We just kept going for it, and we had the players to do it. You know, and, and we were a very forward thinking team. If we had a setback and and just tried to defend from deep and hit them on the counter attack with Viney's pace, and you know maybe maybe who knows, but it wouldn't have been as good a game, would it? Do you know what I mean? If we'd have gone through it, we'd have tried anyway, and nobody would have remembered it. So I seen it on it was up on FA Cup classics. Um, it's not, as a manager, and I've done it myself here, when you go and you challenge Celtic and Rangers and, you know, ultimately they've got players that are worth 10 million on the pitch and we've got boys who are paying 300 pounds. It's, um, you still think you can go and win and 
I'd rather be a manager that's positive thinking. I, you know, I would, I'd go with Yuli. I remember shouting over at Steeny at the time, shall we sit? And he just said, you shut up and just get on with it. You know, Steeny was like, you know, there's no negotiating with Steeny. You just do what you're told. So we just kept running forward. And as I say, we we got caught out. We got caught out, but we got caught out. Uh, and, and I think, like you said, hindsight is a great thing. I mean, I mean, I'm not at the levels of where you are, but obviously, you know, that I coach over in, in the America. I couldn't, I don't think I could go and set up a game if it was like a, a final or whatever and we're free one up and we're playing against a better team or supposedly much better team than ourselves and sit in. Because if like if we end up losing, I'll be more angry at myself for not sticking to my methods of like attack, 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 attack. Maybe the last five, ten minutes I might say, well look, sit in now, but no, not at half time. I don't think you could you could turn around and me personally, I, I mean I'd be like, nah, I wouldn't I wouldn't enjoy the win. I mean, that's, I mean, that's stupid. You would enjoy because you're beating Liverpool, I suppose. But I just know what you mean. I couldn't, in hindsight, a great thing. You couldn't, I couldn't sit in if my tactics would have been like exactly the same, I think. I don't think we had the players to sit in anyway. We're all so attack minded and we, mm. were, we were buzzing with confidence. You know what I mean? It was a great time to get them. Um, I think Benin had a wee bit of pressure at the time. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, it was, a, it was a great time to get them. And, Three one up. We thought we were invincible. You know? Me and Nicky were just empty in the middle. No, I'd be having a heart attack as a manager. And now Nicky and me were just bombing forward, <laughs> doing what we wanted to do. I know I'd be like, just sit in there, protect. You know. So as you say, hindsight's a great thing, and it probably wouldn't have been the game that it was. Um, you know, and Luton's Luton have had a lot of good memories since that game as well. But I would imagine in Luton fans, it would probably still be up there on one of the, the better games they've experienced over time. Oh, definitely. And you, um, and it's interesting you say that because when, when we spoke to Nico, he said that that was the only game he's ever left that he's lost, and he had a smile on his face. The only game <laughs> yeah. ever. It was. It was that I would have had a smile on my face, but I left on crutches, unfortunately. <laughs> or I would have been. I would have been smiling. It was. It was just. It had absolutely everything. Everything. Um, and it was. You know, I, when you look back now, anybody says to me that I even remember that I still played. That's what they say to me. I used to actually play. He, he actually scored a goal. You know, so. It's the one that everybody will talk to me about, and I suppose I've got to live. I've still got Steve. Great Gerrish. goal, by the way. Great goal, by the way. You let it run across your body, didn't you? And you hit it. We touch more. We touch around the corner. No sense of gravity. Oh, okay, that's right. Yes. You know I mean? That's Ryan Carragher. He won't be talking about that on Monday night football, will he, tonight? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Good memories. And, and I've got Jared's shirt as well. I've got Stephen Jared's shirt up on the wall. Um, actually, Charlie's got it. He's got it up on his wall. So he's got my Luton shirt and um, uh, Stephen Jared shirt. So certainly good memories. And now have Stephen you ever Jared, raised that with him? Well, I didn't. I was a wee bit embarrassed too. But um, when we played them recently, when you were allowed to go in and meet managers, you know that was before COVID. We went into the, the office, and I'm not sure Stevie even remembers that. I can't imagine him imagine that I'm remembering the goal I scored against them after what he's achieved. So I thought it was best maybe not to say anything. I just kept quiet. He must have remembered the Luton game, surely. He would do because Alonso's goal. I'm not sure. See, the problem was, I think I might have got sent to the stand that day. Um, as manager, I think I got sent off. So I had my tail between my legs. So I, I don't think I was sent too much. And Charlie was in the room as well. And he was awestruck. Or, you know, Stephen Gerrard was in. So he was completely awestruck. So didn't think there was the right time to say till. So, no. Out of interest, um, if you don't mind me asking, you're obviously Motherwell coach now. Um is there a, I mean, that game, quite often that Luton game sticks in your mind. Do you think as a Motherwell fan, um, there are there are Motherwell fans in throughout kind of the, in your tenure that would have a game that they think of in the same light? Obviously, maybe different outcome or whatever it was that they look to and go, that was the game I remember. There's kind of kids growing up or fans. Do you think there's anybody Motherwell fans that would be like that? Which one? 
I'm getting um I I forget half the thing. I think well since I've been I mean there's obviously before I come there'll be there'll be plenty of memories. There's there's probably three stick in my mind. Um we beat Rangers six two, I think it was in the playoff to stay up. And and that was massive because everybody had wrote us off. Uh, me and Barclough's manager, I was assistant manager. At my time as manager, we beat Aberdeen in the semi-final to get to the, the Scottish Cup final. Yeah. And we beat them 3-0 in the semi-final. And we were the underdogs, you know, we shouldn't have been there. Um, that, and we beat Rangers 2-0 in the semi-final to get to the, the next final. So Hamden was packed. With, our end of Hamden was full. The flags were up, the celebrations afterwards. You know, and as a, as a manager, that's very, very difficult to replicate. Obviously, if we went one more and won the thing, then I can't imagine how good it would have been. You know, we we didn't. And we had no right to. We had no right to be in the cup finals with you know, the size of the club. We had no right to beat Celtic in the final. But I would say if you ask people now, that would be the memory. The Aberdeen game, we were so convincing against a, a side with such a much bigger budget. We were all the press had wrote us off. And the same with the other semi-final against Rangers. You know, we beat them 2-0. Louis Maltz, I remember because I actually got sent off again. I've calmed down since oh then, okay, it was four or five years ago. Um, I got, I got me and Pedro Casino were having a row, we were winning one nil, so I got sent to the stand. And um, I can remember some video footage of me in the stand when Louis Maltz's goal was going in, so he lobs the goalkeeper from about 30 yards. And I mean, the celebrations are absolutely brilliant, all the fans are going wild. I'm in the stand going wild. Um, and that was that was brilliant, that was brilliant. So, if I'm a fan, you're not forgetting that, you're remembering that. For me as a manager, the biggest one for me, and people always go, Really? When I took over the job, we were second bottom, and I knew people were under pressure for the jobs. Obviously, I was under pressure. Um, but people at the club, you know, relegation's horrible, and there was going to be 30, 40 staff lose their job. And we were we were second bottom of the league, we conceded 30 goals, and we we stayed up. Um, in the last game of the season, the second last game of the season against Kilmarnock, we won three. And that was, for me, the biggest relief. That's the game I always remember because, hey, I might not have stayed as manager. If we hadn't, if I hadn't kept them up, I might have been sacked. And that then led to the next season, two cup finals, finishing third and, you know, getting into Europe, all that kind of stuff. So that was that was massive for, for me. But as a football club, the pressure I felt for those other people to keep them in jobs, you know, the repercussions of that relegation would have been catastrophic for the football club in terms of finances. So that, that's what I, I remember. But I would suggest Motherwell fans will probably remember the, the Aberdeen semi-final as their one. Awesome. Awesome. They probably will do. They'll probably be messaging right now um, with their <laughs> memories and, and the best games. Hopefully. 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 Is there any America, any Motherwell fans in America? There must be a couple. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Told you. Yeah, you are. Because of your mum. Me. me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've even did you take a session, Marv? Did you put a session on for us? No, I listen. I was nowhere. I was nowhere near that. I was. I was. I was taking down your sessions as you were doing, and I still do them. Um, I think what I do now, the one what you was it you showed? Yeah, you you told me the seven four two, the running one, where you you, you do um twenty yards. 40 yards and oh, yes, 80 yeah, yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. do the... 8-4-2. 8-4-2. Yeah, it's 8-4-2. Yeah. 8 8-4-2. 8 You've been letting them off? I've been letting them off. Is it really 8-4-2? Yeah. You're lying. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, girls. That's it. The, girl, the girls in your team are going to kill what? me. You're so, giving so, 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 <laughs> do you know what, man? Is it, let me just say something to you now. because I've they keep getting in on time, yeah? No, no. But I'm thought why? It's weird. Why has he told me 7-4-2 when it's like 2 Four, it's all even. Why is it not eight? I'm thinking. But I said, okay, it's Robbo's like drill. Just keep it at seven. So I was thinking, 
I thought that way. Why? Why the hell would it be seven four two when it's like all two four? Distance, you'll cover all the same distance. That's what yeah. it is. So now, yeah. Sorry, girls and girls have had it now. Eight four six eight four two. Yeah. So yeah. No, I didn't take a session, but I I I enjoy obviously watching your sessions because, like I said, I mean. You're, you're a very good coach and, and you spoke about Newly obviously being obviously the manager and you spoke about Newly his man management skills I didn't see um, not that you should I didn't see you being because Newly we both know was very like he believed his thoughts were like a manager's a manager a coach is a coach and Newly was the one who sort of like came into the dressing room on the other weekend and the Saturday and you heard his voice and Steenie was the one who was doing all the work and Newly did come up to be fair to him, didn't he? During the week, he just, just he just like just walked around, wasn't he? Or whatever. You're not. I mean, when I came up to mother, you're not that sort of manager. You was more of a hands-on manager. Do you do you do you believe there's some then truth to what Newly says about a manager being a manager and just hearing his voice, and not getting used to his voice? That was the point of him not being in the training sessions each day. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was it was quite powerful. It was it was quite powerful doing that. I think things have sort of moved on and evolved a little bit as well. I think I think now a lot of the managers, the coaching, I've I didn't trust anybody to do the coaching at the start, so I've done absolutely everything. But I've got a brilliant coaching staff now. And Keith Lad, Morris Ross are top top coaches, so I've learned to designate a bit more. So it isn't always my voice, and I would coach a lot on the the Thursday Friday before the game. So a lot of the tactical stuff. I think it's important that the manager does the tactics it's important that his voice is the one that's leading the tactics and the rest of the stuff around it which is generic um, players really you know I, I'm a believer that players have to enjoy football but it's purely technical all the time you lose them so I try and buy players in we buy them in with, with small side of games or the possessions or the finishing the stuff that they really enjoy and then they buy them back out again and I say give me your half hour of your time now this is when we're coaching I would take a lot of that stuff and that's what interests me the technical side of it you know but I think if it's constant tactics you lose the players and, and the opposite, if, it's, if there's no tactics and no organisation, then you know, we end up getting found out. I think that's a short term. So we've got a good mix of it. I, I believe that the manager has to coach He has to be the one that delivers it. And I think you'll find now, you know, the right in the pitch. I've gone to, you know, through the LMA, I've been able to go and watch and, and learn different things, you know, go across the world watching things when I was with Northern Ireland. And, you know, people are hands-on. Michael only let me do practically everything. Um, throughout the Euros, you know, maybe 80%, 90% of sessions. But when it came to the final bits and the team shape and the set plays and all them final bits, that's when you get the player's attention. So there's a there's definitely a method in Newley's madness because when the manager speaks, you're listening. If you hear his voice every single minute, then it becomes a, a bit diluted. And Mick Harford used to say that to me as well. You know, when Mick, Mick didn't say much, but when Mick spoke, you listened because it was, he got your attention. But I think modern management now is a lot of the management side of it's getting taken away. It's more, you know, you're a head coach. You know, a lot of times the, the setup of football clubs are you're a head coach. At Motherwell, that's not the case. I'm I'm lucky that I run the club from top to bottom. You know, I have a very good relationship with the chief of the chairman, top class woman. But that's rare. You know, I, I decide everything that happens. I decide who comes, who goes. I get given a budget, and a great budget, but they give me everything they possibly can. And, and they never interfere. They never question who I sign, why I sign, and why I've got rid of him. And I've, I'm probably the old school, and there's not many left that allow you to do that. I think now where it's more you've got that structure above you, and you've got a head coach. And I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable in both roles. I enjoy coaching. I, I the day to day stuff, the tactical side, I do. So the analysis side of things huge. Now we didn't do a lot of analysis at, at Luton. Newly believed in the sort of old Liverpool style. You know, we played small side of games. We were better than them and the players, and, and we played like that as well. So 
I don't think there's ever one right or wrong way to do it. I've never criticised any manager ever because there's no right and wrong way to do it. There's no right style. You play to your player's strength. If you've got two six foot six centre forwards, why play football? Get the ball into the box as often as you can. If you've got Xavi and NES there in midfield, you've got to play out from the back. If you've got Rio Ferdinand driving out, you play. You play through the third. So I, I believe in you play with what you're given. And then when you get yourself in a position, you try and recruit that way and and that's how I've tried to evolve Motherwell into plays very good football. At the start, I didn't have that. I had big, strong boys. Um, and it wasn't loads of coaching. It was a lot of team spirits similar to, to Luton. Now we play some really, really good football. We make mistakes because we play too much. Um, you can't get the characters like we used to do to take control of the game and go and win that header and tackle, throw their body line. They don't exist, I don't think, anymore. I think academies have created a different creature. So you have to evolve on that. You have to constantly keep evolving and reinventing yourself in football. And that's you know what we've tried to do. Excellent. So um, we always like to give people an, an opportunity to say a message to fans or um, of clubs they play for or managed. Um, is there anything you want to say to any anybody out there who, who maybe doesn't hear too much from you from this side of perspective? Obviously, I hear a lot from you from managing conferences and stuff, but from this side as an ex-player. All the clubs I've played for are great times. I mean, Bournemouth was probably the two clubs I really, really follow are, are Bournemouth. They're the two I always look out for. So, you know, delighted to see Luton stay up. And, you know, Nathan's done a great job, really, really good job. And Bournemouth, I mean, the club that I left compared to the club that they are now, the success Eddie Howe has had is fantastic. So I'm buzzing, we're absolutely buzzing. Jason Tindall's taken over now. I think they're top of the league as we speak, aren't they? I think they're top yeah, of yeah. the championship. So delighted for both of them. And, you know, I'm, I'm their biggest fan. I'm, they're the two teams for all the time. Outside of Motherwell, obviously, I've got a real affinity. You know, you have memories when you speak about it and you remind yourself all the good times you had with it. It's it's something you'll you'll be able to tell forever. And I wish both clubs all the very very best, and um, hopefully continue in the, the upward trajectory they're going. Luton's waited so long, so long to get back into that division again. I'm sure when Nathan's doing the job he's doing, go from strength to strength. New stadium, get that new stadium, Gary. Come on, and Bournemouth. You know, be delighted to see them get back up again. Great club, super people involved in it, and you know, as I said, I know all the coaching staff there. And, and still in two good, very, very good clubs. I, I wish all the very best. Well, thank you so much for your time. And obviously not trying to talk Jason or Nathan out of the job. If Bournemouth or Luton came in for you now, which one would you choose to manage? <laughs> Go away, Marv. Let's see. Motherwell fans give me a hard enough time without asking me questions like that. <laughs> Right, both brilliant clubs, both brilliant clubs. I've got a really good job at where I am at the moment. Um, <laughs> on. And I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I've I know, got, yeah, of course, I've, listen, got, I've listen. got a rare thing in football. I've got a rare thing in football. I've got people who don't interfere and who I trust and pick. And and that is sometimes you know, it's I've got good I've got a good job, good people. I work for really good people, honest people, which you know doesn't always happen. Want me to be successful, and they're two great clubs, two super clubs that are close to my heart, and I hope them two managers stay on the job for a long time. So, of course, listen, I, I I do, I said I like to do it, I, and I love Jonesy as well, Nathan as well. But like, if Motherwell sacked you now, right, and you're out of work for four or five years, <laughs> after Saturday right, there might be a chance to be first, and, you, so. and you're out of work for four or five years, and Bournemouth and Luton both were there, who would you go for? <laughs> Ah, Lord, no I'm joking. All right, don't... I'm saying Luton. I'm saying Luton. I've got to say Luton. We won the league with Luton, so do you know what I mean? <laughs> I knew you were going to say Luton. To be fair, I knew you were going to say Luton. You pushed me in that, haven't you? I know, I know. But listen, and listen, and listen, that's not me trying to talk you out of a mother. No, I've never been back. To, I've never been back to Kenilworth Road since I left. Never, never been back. Never been back because I've always, I've never been out of work. I've always been in work. I've always been here, there, and everywhere. And none of the games have taken me to watch. 
I've never been back, never been to see a game. Never well, been even, even, even scouting. There's another thing, so. <laughs> not, like Andrew said, not even scouting. Not, not even scouting. scouting. No, see, my, my chief scout, Martin Foyne's based down in that direction, and Martin would do all that kind of stuff down there for me. Any of the games I've went to watch, I've never actually, actually been back to Luton at all for any reason, though, which is a shame. I'll, I'll, I'll get back soon. Because like, we always play, and I say every time they have games, we have games, you know. So, and I've not been out of work for any length of time for to get down and see a game. So, you never know. Gary Sweet might actually one day might invite me down and pay for my dinner. You never know. Never know. I mean, I mean, again, there you go. Look, what I don't know if they got up to Scotland, there'd be a, a friendly for you two to have, like Motherwell host Luton and a friendly or something in pre season friendly or something. There you that go. Would be good. That'd be good. They're always welcome. Both clubs are always welcome. Bournemouth have got a big representation up here. They do a lot of work up here. Richard Hughes is Scottish. He's high up in the club. Car Fetcher is the head of a club. They like loaning boys up here. You know, it's a good it's a good platform for football. Massive environment. The press is huge. It's, um, Bournemouth have got a good connection up here. Uh, it's this direction. Luton, not quite so much, but obviously they're... they're Excellent. Fantastic. Well, um, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Steve. And that was Steve Robinson's My Best 11. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe at My Best 11 Pod and leave us a five star rating. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at My Best 11 Pod. Email Pod at gmail.com.